Welcome to the Girls on Tour podcast with Mira Manga. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Girls on Tour podcast. This is dedicated to girls on tour in space, or more specifically, fans of Star Trek Discovery. We're wandering far off course from our usual format. We're in another galaxy, you could say. So if Star Trek is not your tipple, or should I say tribble, please skip this bonus episode and return to us on Wednesday when normal service will resume. A huge thank you to my dear pal Kim, as thanks to her we were lucky enough to get to go to this Star Trek Discovery event, hosted by Netflix. The panel came on after a showing of episode 8 and answered loads of audience questions, including one all about that Vok rumour. The voices you can hear are moderator Jamie East, with Aaron Harberts, Shazad Latif, Soniqua Martin-Green and Jason Isaacs. Sit back in your captain's chair, order your tea, Earl Grey hot and enjoy. I'll catch you after. Episode? I want to just, I mean, in terms, in terms, of, the, in terms of the whole discovery. But yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, it was a mammoth undertaking and, and, you know, so much to consider. I mean, no one takes jumping into a new iteration of Star Trek lately at all. But nobody was watching closely, really, were they? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the beauty of this was, and I was actually speaking to someone about this today, is we didn't, we produced most of our episodes before we started airing them. And that vacuum was, as Jason's alluding to, terrifying because everybody's, you know, questioning and wondering and what's wrong. And we had a few delays, but it was really to make sure that we were providing the best product we could. Um, but it was nice to sort of have that that vacuum, sort of that 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 peace and quiet, despite the curiosity that was raging during that year uh, from from the outside, to stay true to our vision. You know, we weren't we weren't getting any input. So we were allowed to really focus on the themes that we wanted to explore, the character relationships we were, we were eager to develop. And that took a lot of pressure off. Um, and in terms of the look of the, of the show, because it's a prequel to, to the original series and stuff, um, how, how, did you, how did you approach that in terms of, because obviously it needs to look cutting edge, but then we all know, that we all know what's coming. You know, how, how did that? Well, that, that began with um, our production designer who, who began with us on, on the pilot, Mark Worthington, um, and our props, uh, our, our props uh, 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 master, um, Mario Barrera. Um, all of these people were Star Trek fans from the very beginning, and they loved the original series. Many of the people who work on the show are die-in-the-wool Star Trek fans. And the mission statement from the very beginning was, you have to give the audience something that that, that feels contemporary in regard to the look, the, the production values that people are, are, are used to. It's also a streaming service in the States and, and, and here too that you, that you pay for. And we have to give people um, you know, their money's worth. But at the same time, you know, the, the interest was to make sure that there were nods to certain props and certain aesthetics that people uh, remember. So, the, the communicators and the phasers were um, lovingly updated. You know, it was, uh, it was that, that, that was something that was very important to us. But, but at the same time, you know, we needed to make sure that, that the on-screen technology and the graphics and the special effects felt very cutting edge. Um, that's Sinequa. Hello. Uh, Michael feels like such a massive breath of fresh air. Uh, how was it to? How did you, How difficult was it to get under his skin and to really get stuck into that as a role? Oh, man, well, thank you for saying that. Um, that was very kind of you. 
Um, well, no, I'll let him take it. But it is, Michael Burnham, it is quite an undertaking and um, a very, you know, I say all the time, you know, a very, a very complicated woman. And, and so I, I certainly have had my share of difficulty um, which is great because as, as an actor, as an artist, you want to be challenged. That's what you want. That's, that's, uh, that's what makes you grow. That's what makes you expand. And so I have certainly expanded and grown um, because there's such an inner conflict within me as Michael Burnham. And you know what I used to think is that it was binary, is that it was sort of human versus Vulcan, emotion versus logic. But what I realized and, and what I do say to what I say to him, uh, Lieutenant Tyler, at the end of episode six, is that it's, I've realized it's a lot more complicated than that. And um, it's, it's tough being someone who has an identity crisis. It's, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, terms of, in terms of legacy of Star Trek, Jason Fury, you know, being the captain, you've got some, some pretty big boots to fill. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get the same sort, but no, I didn't, I didn't want to do, I wouldn't have said yes, frankly, if I thought there was any attempt by Eric Gretchen and Ted and Kira, all the other writers, uh, to try and retread or reboot anything at all, because, well, you know, who wants to see the remake of The Godfather with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, or whatever, just, it's just, some things, are, you know, it was iconic. I grew up watching, glued to the couch, watching uh, Bill Shatner swagger all over the universe, um, and, uh, and Patrick, Take his jacket all the time. Um, so it was because it was completely different. It was, and it's a single story, uh, and it's wartime, and this man is in conflict with his crew, really, and then the rest of, with the rest of the Federation, because he feels like the task of winning the war is on his shoulders alone. Uh, I, I can ignore all that stuff. I can ignore the legacy of the captains. It's hard to ignore all the fans uh, and their expectations. That's been enormously enjoyable. But in terms of uh, stepping those boots, I, I'm playing the part barefoot. Uh, Shazad, can you hear me? I do. Sorry, I've always wanted to say that. Um, uh, presumably, though, so I'm, I'm, uh, going from something like Toast, you know, everyone here probably knew you was Clamp Fandango. Uh, going from that to this uh, must be just a thrill. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, it's from absurd comedy to. Like Did you have to explain Toast of London to the, to the cast and say, oh, right, there's this guy? One, I think only, only one of them had seen it. I don't even know, you even know what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a little cult, yeah, Channel 4 thing. Like, they don't really have it over there. But um, yeah, going from you know, absurd comedy to sort of high concept, hard hitting drama is a. How different nice. is it in the actual production of it? I mean, presumably, it takes it's a bit Yeah, it's huge, you know, there's loads of producers, loads of writers. It's, it's a, Big sets, lots of money is, but at the end of the day, when this action cuts, it's like, you know, you're doing the same thing, really. Um, it's just fun to just be in the month, but I'm enjoying the story time. Uh, different costumes, I'm guessing. You're <laughs> wearing a spray on bodysuit, is that great? He's always the hipster. Yeah. Uh, enough questions for me, I'm sure there's tons of gentlemen there. Straight up. Goodness me. Finish the sentence, we just hang on to the right. toilet, I think. Boston. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. Um, just first of all, Jason Isaacs, if, if anyone hasn't seen Death of Stalin yet, you totally own Zukov. You're the funniest thing, you stole the show, and absolutely, me and my dad, we loved it. So, uh, 
my question is to, to all three of you. Um, in terms of, uh, has anyone from the previous Star Treks ever taken you aside and told you what you're really in for? Because you're part of the Star Trek family now. That's it. You're you're part of canon. So uh, are, are you in for? Are you in for? Are you prepared for it? Or? Well, Jonathan Riker. Um, John Fez came and directed an episode, we had a fantastically good time, he's a very high energy, very fun guy, and he told us some absolutely hair curling stories about what we might come to expect from the fan community. We can't wait, you know, but I mean, uh, they all have a fabulous time. They're all still incredibly close, all the crew of the next generation. They see each other all the time, engaging with the fans. And uh, yeah, he had, not only did he say, you're gonna love it, I can't wait for you to meet my family, is what he actually said. Uh, he also gave us a lot of tips on how to, you know, rock from side to side, and, and lots of stuff up. <laughs> uh, one day he said, uh, you're in trouble with your hands. I went, yes, we are. Because there's no pockets. I go, no, there's no one He goes, uh, do a lot of folding. I said, yeah, do it. <laughs> Can I give you a tip? I said, he goes, never start a scene with your hands on your head. <laughs> you won't get them off. <laughs> so we have, we've been told, not warned, we've been, uh, we've been primed and we can't wait. It's amazing to be in the family, the Star Trek family. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's a family that has been, you know, uh, sharing in this story for... You know, for decades. And and so it's like a real family. Like a real, like a real family. So it's beautiful. So yeah, and he, we loved him. We absolutely loved Jonathan Frakes. He's one of our one of our favorites. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, my granddad was a huge fan. My my, my uncle, my mum, when we used to watch Next Generation, it's just a beautiful thing to be. You know, I was watching on BBC Two about twelve years. I don't know, twelve years ago. And, you know, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's an emotional thing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Fantastic. Oh, he was very sorry, uh, gentleman in costume, I do believe. I was going for the Picard, sorry, I don't have a discovery uniform yet. <laughs> um, I just want to say, first, thank you for the question. Um, as a gay man, watching Star Trek growing up was a big part of escapism for me. And I always felt quite safe because it was this future where we were all equal and, you know, Gene Roddenberry's vision. Uh, my question is, what are you hoping? A new generation, but also other people to take from discovery that kind of hope and acceptance? Good question. Woo. I mean, it's nice to be the, the diversity issue. It's nice to be part of a show where it's just normal. It's how I see the world. This is how I see the world normally, but a lot of people don't. So it's nice to be part of a show where it's, it's not mentioned, it just is. And we can walk around and just not think about it. And that's for, for that to happen for people to normalize in their heads like that is, is, is one of my hopes. I think I think we just hope to uphold the legacy that has always been there, like you said, and for it to continue to spread love and hope and light in the world as it's as it always has. And I feel you know to be able to see a future where racism, sexism, homophobia um, is not not an issue anymore. You know we sort of. Um, you know, finally, finally progressed beyond it and been able to really see see ourselves in each other. You know, we say that a lot when we talk about the show, how it's about the discovery of each other through the discovery of ourselves, and we talk about how we really, we really are mirrors to each other, and there is no difference or separation between us, and we can 
love each other, not in spite of our differences, but because of them. So being able to see that, I think, really speaks to us as humans. It speaks to our heart, and I think we have to see it before we can do it. Yeah, and also, uh, I probably should have had a round of applause and I jumped in. <laughs> So who would have thought a year or two ago that that would have meant as much as it does now at a time when so much division and hatred is being sown and we're being pulled apart and away from each other? So it's, never been, it's not a message show, it's a, it's a phenomenal entertainment. The message is subliminal. Just by the way, did you notice? So I've got two daughters. So, you know, there's a subliminal message when there's a lead woman in the show, when Wonder Woman is kicking ass and not doing it because a man is showing you how to do it. You know, it's an entertainment, but thank God there are shows I can take my girls to where they're not, you know, there's girls that lead. In the same way, this is fabulously entertaining and provocative on a political level and a personal level. Uh, mostly it's entertainment, but uh, the contrast between, it was, by, it was like the last few seasons of The West Wing, when we had, you know, a god in The West Wing and a moron uh, on television and a moron in, in the White House. Um, and, uh, and, and they are halcyon days, frankly, now, looking back. Uh, um, so this show like this uh, and the message it puts out has never felt more necessary. I would, I would. I, I would say as a, as a gay man as well, um, that, you know, what Roddenberry did and, and, and all through Next Gen as well, I mean, it was, frankly, it was first and foremost about visibility. People were seeing images of themselves that had never been, you know, seen on television. And I think we're, we're certainly past the point of visibility. And, and just to sort of build on what Jason and Sneeko are saying, these are heroes. And so I think, I think the most important thing is what storylines are you giving to these characters? Because it's not just about um, telling a story about the gay experience. Culver and Stamets, as, as we'll see moving through, are, are true heroes, and their relationship is, it, it, it's not about um, two men being together because that's just what it is. But it's about storylines that are being given to different people who've never had the chance to have those storylines. And, and I would say that on, on, on all fronts. And so what we get to do is look at ourselves and, and if, if it's Jason's daughter or, or my you know, cousin uh, looking and saying, wow, uh, there's a woman leading the charge there, and there's a woman of color leading the charge there, and, and that's just what it is, and there's no question about it, then that's what we're here to do. I've got a question. Where'd you get your disco t shirt from? <laughs> a non official source. <laughs> And that brings me on to my question. Um, my associates and I, Team Disco, um, we're going to come all in our different uniforms um, today, but then we realised we wanted to enjoy the day, relax. I've done a 400 mile drive return to be here today, and I wondered the 12, 14 hour shoot in your uniforms, as great as they look, how does that work out? Are you sewn in? It's like an external gastric band. <laughs> so, chapter season three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can't, you can't, eat, you can't go to the, you can't go to the end, but there, there are numbers of things. In, in the future, obviously, it's enormously uh, diverse community, but some things are not allowed. Creases are not allowed in the future uh, by CBS, apparently. And, and, they, and also, 
because they got shoulder pads. You lift your hands up in the air, the first iteration of the costume, the shoulders stayed up there like that. <laughs> so they sewed the jackets and the pants, which was fine unless you lifted your hands above your waist, in which case you gave the kind of display that's also not popular. <laughs> So then we get our hands down and there are all kinds of ads going on and there's a, there's a lot more goes into it than meets the eye. Wow. They, they zip together, the, the top and the bottom, so you, you can unzip if you must, like when you want to eat. <laughs> I, I quite like it because it, it, it requires you to... Yeah. Which I use as my... The staff label. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, the gentleman that you were you uh, in the middle with the uh, delightful beard. <laughs> I always spot a beard. Hi there. Firstly, thank you for coming here to talk with us today. And uh, my question is mainly aimed at Sneaker, but all have an opinion, I'm sure. Do you think uh, Michael Burnham will ever regain a rank and become a a Starfleet officer again, to the extent of maybe first officer to Captain Tilly. Is <laughs> <laughs> it not a cool slip? <laughs> oh. Um, uh, yeah, I hope I... But no, I mean, that's obviously, you know, that's, that's been a dream of, of, of Michael's, you know, for a very long time, a dream of mine, so. Um, yeah, but I mean, right now, the, what, what is, uh, you know, what is more pressing to me and what I yearn for more than anything is absolution and penitence and forgiveness and, you know, I want to stop this war. And so that is what's consuming me right now. And I do believe rightfully so. Um, but, the, but the rank and the, and the sort of... Um, you know, upward mobility that has always driven me my entire life. It's, it's definitely still there, but it's taking a back seat at the moment. I think what's important to note and what I loved about that scene between the two of you mm -hmm. was that, um, and even the writers realized this, so we're like, well, just because she ends the war, I mean, Lorca, Lorca wants her there for a particular mission. And we were thinking about, well, what does happen afterward? Because her, 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 her crime has not been expunged. And I think that's you know it, it's inter it was an interesting sort of wrinkle in that in that conversation about the future because right now she she doesn't have one beyond the war. Sorry, I was, I was having a chat. Let's go over to this side. Uh, the gentleman there, I believe, uh, you're just doing bearded people. I just want to check. You're only doing people bearded. <laughs> it does seem like that. Actually, I'll, I'll choose a non-bearded. Oh, hello. Wow. Do it. It is a question, but you probably can't answer it, so it's more of a, a comment, really. But I find it interesting that through the whole show so far, no one, when they come up to you as Michael Byrne, has said, Why are you called Michael? I mean, I've got my opinions, but are we ever going to find out, do you think? Or... You have a, I mean, I can tell you the the story, but I like what you developed, what you turned it into for your character. So do you want to go first? Um, well, yes. So, because it's a two-part answer, so he'll give you the other part. Um, but but in, in story terms, I uh, created that I was named after my biological father, who is obviously also Michael Burnham, and no one with us in this world. Um, and what I love about that is that it's a subtle 
yet uh, poignant um, political statement of the future and gender roles in the future being a lot more fluid. And so a, a, a girl can be named after her dad and perhaps a son named after his mother. Do you have another poem? I mean, I really like that answer, so I think we should. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I, 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 I just how the why of how it came about isn't really as important as I think what Sonequa said. I mean, I think truly from a character perspective, it's a great answer. I mean, I, we could talk about you know the, the you know the, the the biblical allusion to the angel Michael, um, which was also something that was uh, you know interesting to us as we were all hatching that name. And I think that that that, that this uh, that that gender fluidity, that that idea that um, a, a typically uh, male name um, can be applied to uh, a woman, and hopefully vice versa, um, will need it's to. It's hundreds of years in the future. Right now, yeah. we'll be gender, you can choose to be gender neutral. So in a few hundred years' time, yeah. And, and and you know there are you know there there's precedent for for that name. For women, you don't need a lot of them, but I've, I've been lucky enough to meet one in my life. But I, I really love uh, Sonequa's take on that. That's a good one. Right, so what we're going to have to pay is, please, uh, lady there, I mean, uh, I'll see you there. Thank you very much. Hi. Um, I was wondering whether you could tell us anything about the de decision to design the Klingons the way you did, and whether we will ever find out why they're different to the Klingons that we know. Yes, Aaron. <laughs> um, I think that was said in a, in a nice way, rather than how could you? <laughs> I thank you for the tone. That was a nice tone. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so the design of the Klingons, um, and I'm not passing the buck because I was I was with it all along. Um, uh, when Brian Fuller was was doing the show. And he has such a legacy with Star Trek. Um, one of the first things that he wanted to do, and, and I, I felt like he had the he has the the chops to do it and the credibility to do it, was to redesign the Klingons to make them. Uh, what did he call them? He always called them. Um, he referred to them as um, characters with collapsed souffles on their heads. Um, and he he has great reverence for the Klingons, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't being sort of derogatory. But he wanted to. He wanted to redesign them because we were exploring Klingon culture a bit more, and we were really digging into uh, the characters of the Klingons and, and Laurel, for instance. Um, he wanted to freshen the design up. We were working with Neville Page, who is a designer who works with Ridley Scott. You know, designs a lot of a lot of movies, designs for Guillermo del Toro as well ex extensively, and. He thought, you know, we've got the money, we've got Neville, who's also a lifelong Star Trek fan. Let's really start talking about the Klingons. And let's really start thinking about biologically, you know, what they can be and, and, and how they can be even more. Um, Brian always wanted them to feel like esthetes. And he wanted to make sure that they weren't the barbarians of the universe. And that's where the design sort of began. And you know, when Neville breaks it down, and I think he's, he's done it a little bit on After Track, and he's also done it a little bit in um, other uh, behind-the-scenes footage that we have. A lot of thought went into it. A lot of time and care, and Neville could actually walk through every cranial ridge, and every sensory piece, and the, and the dual nostril, and the dual larynx. Um, 
And uh, I don't enjoy it. I know, yeah. Yeah, I want to take all day. But um, so, so I think that this, the decision really, really also just boiled down to giving the audience something new. I know it's been quite a polarizing thing. Um, but, you know, I, I do stand behind it, and, and I, I understand why people are um, alarmed and, and why people might not, uh, you know, it might not be their cup of tea, but I think it really works well for Discovery to reinvent it because we are showing that the Klingons can carry their own storylines. Thank you. Um, I wanted to be maybe a bit shallow at the moment and comment on your physical appearance and maybe suggest that you're the best looking Star Trek crew that we've had. <laughs> uh, my question's for Shazad. Um, do we at any point see Ash meet Captain Lorca's trouble? <laughs> Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> I'm going to the, the fan theory that Ash Tyler is Vogue. There's been such a clock to have filtrated. The online theories, they've been based on some of the day, but that's like the power of Star Trek fandom, how there's such good you know, detectives, everyone's got these, all these crazy theories online, some of them they get right, some of them are way off, but. Um, some of them just went on. I think, yeah, some of them. But we just watch the show. It's a mystery, anyway. It's just Who thinks I'm a clinger? There was one other that said I'm a clinger. Yeah. No. Okay. It took forever to write that website. It's true. That's what we wanted. I mean, that signifies engagement. So we, you know, we appreciated it. Yeah, so we're way off. Right, he's been oh, they're 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 way better than what we've got. Yes, they are. Some are way, way better. <laughs> uh, the poor son at the back of the side of his hand, every single time. On the poor son, uh, you've had a lot of beautiful questions and some really beautiful answers, but I want to talk about fighting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's beautiful. Well, my question is for you, Sonic. Your fight scene is so, you absolutely nailed it. It was really, really good. I want to know. Everything about it, you know, how much training did you put in, um, yeah. what styles you did, how much background you had, but more than anything else, just to tell you, it's fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much. I love, I love fighting. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for storytelling, I love fighting. That's what I mean when I say it's, it's, it can be beautiful. Obviously, you know, martial arts in their purest forms are beautiful. Um, but I, I did I, I, I dove really deeply into stage combat when I was in college and so I, uh, I got certified in um, all eight weapons that the Society of American Fight Directors offers. So it's like unarmed, rapier and dagger, sword and shield, broadsword, knife, quarterstaff, um, single rapier. All, all those things. Very, very fun. All of them are way expired now, but it was fun at the time, and so I, um, that's when I discovered that I had a, 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 deep, um, a deep love for it and, and uh, found it very delightful. And so once I left school, I just sort of found myself in a lot of different roles where um, I had, you know, a lot of strenuous physical activity, and I've fought quite a bit in a lot of different roles, which I really love. And so for this, uh, for this show, we have a fantastic team. Um, our stunt coordinator, uh, Chris, our, 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 our fight choreographer, Hubert Border, and 
Um, we, they're, they're fantastic, and they're, they're so meticulous, and they're so story-oriented, and they're just so good at what they do. And, um, you know, I, I, I had a lot of fun with those guys, and I, I, I owe them everything. And this Vulcan Sussmana is, is what I'm proficient in as Michael Burnham, and so, you know, we, we did, we did not get, I'm gonna be honest with you guys, we did not get a lot of time. It was, that fight, actually, I will say, a little BTS, a little behind the scene um, info. We did not rehearse together for that fight. I had one 45 minute rehearsal for that fight, and I think he had two 45 minute rehearsals. And then the first time we fought together was on camera. Um, so it was, we, we found it together and we, it, we, we, we both dove in and I love James and obviously he has everything to do with the success of that fight too. He was awesome. So we just were like, all right, well we got to do this. Like, here we go. You know, so it was, it was, it was great. And for me, it's been about, you know, fighting for the screen is very different than fighting for the stage. And so that's been a big transition for me is, um, uh, sort of, it's, it's all about distance and, and sort of the presentation of it for the stage and for screen it is not and so I've had to sort of, you know, mold into that and, and, and transition into that and, and Vulcan Sussmana is very direct and, um, a little like you know, kind of God. Yeah, which is, yeah, a little bit, like very kill shot, very much into the, you know, so, so funny somebody said it seems like all you guys are doing is ducking the, the nerve pinch. <laughs> you know, when two Vulcans fight each other, it's like, that can always happen. It's like you're basically just ducking, ducking that. <laughs> um, but yes, 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 thank you. Thank you, lots more please. Uh, she does more, and that's what Sneaker won't say about herself. A lot of people practice, a lot of people qualify, we all do the drama school, she doesn't. You've got form, you've got such style when you do it that you, you know most people, for, for both of us, we put the stunt double in because they just do it better than we do. Sneaker does it, no, I wouldn't say better than a stunt double because it's roots, my hair one day. She's got fantastic form, it's like a kind of graphic, you know, it's like a video game with someone doing martial arts, it's really special to watch. Thank you. And a question to Aaron first. Um, how many seasons do you have mapped out in your mind? Um, and to the cast, what's it like working with Doug Jones? Because he is incredible uh, in the show. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, seasons mapped out. Um, we're, we, it's day by day. <laughs> um, we are still working on the finale. Actually, I, I spent the other day in my hotel room going through the cut of that, uh, of episode 15. So that has taken so much brain power um, just to make sure that we're finishing this first season correctly. Um, when we return to Los Angeles uh, next week, we begin work on season two. And, uh, and, and again, I mean, I think we, we look at this as, we look at these seasons as novels. And what's beautiful about it is we can sit down, um, Alex Kurtzman, uh, Gretchen Berg, um, myself, and Akiva Goldsman, and we sit down and, you know, I think that the, I think the first thing that the, that the conversation's gonna be about is what worked and what didn't. You know, what did we love? What, 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 what experiments did we do in terms of structure or style of storytelling? Um, what did we feel, you know, sort of saying the best? And more importantly, what what are the themes this you know for season two? What do we want to what do we want to dig into? I, I can tell you that you know um, this is the war novel, and we won't be doing another war novel. Um, 
and and the, that spine served us very well. I think for for season one, um, but I think it's really all about it. Well, I mean, I, I feel like Star Trek fans and science fiction fans are looking for what are you trying to say? You know, what is the deeper like? It's not just about space battles, um, and so we have to really and, and that doesn't come easily. So right now, it's all about sort of taking things in, and it's great to, to meet all of you and to and just to, to you know we went to Italy, we're here in London. You just never know where inspiration will strike. So kind of clearing the mind a little bit to, to allow that to enter in. Um, but it'll be, uh, it'll be a big discussion. We'll probably take at least two weeks to even think of what season two in, in a macro sense will be. Thank you. And Doug Jones, just by the fact he's not here, you can tell how much we all dislike him. <laughs> uh, he's the most darling man. I, 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 don't, I can't speak for the two of you, but I know that he's the sweetest most delightful kind of cuddle. He's a big cuddle and kiss and hug and stuff. <laughs> and I had no idea until I watched back what brilliant work he does this through. He's wearing a, a rubber bucket on his head, essentially. <laughs> He's been there for hours before wearing it. He, 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 nothing moves on it, really. It's not, you know, it's not fully articulated because uh, you know, he's still there for hours every day, but, but to make everything move would cost an entire budget. I mean, it's, and yet, his character is maybe the richest, the most complicated and emotional and, and engaging, and uh, so uh, my experience with him anyway is that he's just a total honey, and I'm, I'm stunned and thrilled to see that he's also a bit of a genius. <laughs> yeah, he's very much a genius. I mean, he's such an angel on this earth, you guys, and um, he spreads light and joy everywhere he goes, everybody that he touches, um, and yes, I just... And he does touch. <laughs> and, and yes, and it, he is genius. He's genius. I mean, we all know how much he's done and how much he's contributed to, you know, the history of Bill and, you know, how, how, how much life he's brought through so many of those creatures that he's played. And, and for this, for Saru, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I just think the depth of, um, of heart that he is able to shine through the rubber is, is tremendous. I, I really do. We just, we just love him. We had such a great time filming that episode in, in the middle of nowhere in Canada, but it felt like we were on Harvard. It was this beautiful spiritual experience, like the episode. And all three of us, it was quiet, it was very just serene, just filming scenes in a tent with Doug. It was, it was a be beautiful time, actually. You had a nice time. He's walking on those yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> no, I was, yeah, I was actually just going to say, and he does it without complaining as well, you guys. You know, like he said, he sits for hours and then he's got these heels on that. It's like his he like it's like he walks around with his own CGI because the back of it is, is just air and he's just holding himself up by the balls of his feet and he's he's so strong and um and so we we were joking when we were in the woods you know in the middle of the serenity <laughs> that he was just having to like balance on rocks and like <laughs> twigs and stuff like on in his heels and everything and just never and just always does I love that he's in the scene where he goes I can go a hundred times faster than you and I'm thinking no you fucking <laughs> Take those boots off and see. I want to see. I want. I want the fans to see the Saru pedicure happening. <laughs> but um, to to Doug Jones, I was I was smiling um, as we were watching because um, he does a signature move. When 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 you when Doug greets you, he cups your face just so tenderly. I mean, it's just that's just what he does. And it was so funny to see him doing it as Saru. I mean, that's exactly, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and he strokes the side of your face and it's so tender. And this time around, it was so interesting that he did it with such menace. And, and, and Sadiq were kind of like, there's 
communicator, and then he's like, but that that moment, that 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 is pure done, pure done. What you think about he's got this character, the the, the design of the Kelpie, he's got a rather cruel slash in the mouth. If you look at him, devoid of character, and yet he manages to make through so warm and engaging, and the face when he dropped it, you go, what? I'd be like this guy's a psychopath. <laughs> Uh, we've got time for one more question, I'm afraid. See uh, past the beard. Yes. Sorry? Beard or no beard? Where are you going? Beard or no beard? You choose, Jason. I can't possibly. Oh, okay. We'll go for... Uh, we'll go for uh, Let's have both. Let's go mad. Okay, fine. We'll go for the... The dead friend is... Oh, sorry. We'll go for the lady in the front. Sorry. We've had many blokes. Lady with the beard somewhere? No, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Why did you choose a theme song that didn't have like any words to it? And then follow up to the, the characters. If you had a walk-on theme song, what would you choose? Oh. Well, I think ahead. You've got time. Take your time. So the first question is a theme song without work. Without. Yes, you can join us. Um. I. I'll be honest. I think. I didn't love the Enterprise. Um, I, I just, I, I, what I love about our main titles, and we fought to have a main title sequence. You know, those don't happen a lot anymore in, 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 in U.S. television. Um, what I love about a theme song and a main title sequence is it gets you pumped for the show. You know, and and. That theme, uh, as interpreted by, because the, the, the Courage theme is in there from the original track, that theme, um, written by Jeff Russo, was a brilliant composer. Brilliant composer. Um, again, lifelong Star Trek fan. Lifelong. This was a dream of his. This job, I mean, I, I think he would do it for free. <laughs> um, but, so, he, he we, we said, and, and this is what we do with, 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 with fans of the, sh of the show, the job is to hire the best people and get out of their way, and that was the same with with Jeff. We said, you know, you've got a, you've got a minute and a half. Um, we're doing a main title sequence that's you know that we're really excited about. Go, and that was that was his inspiration, and I think it is I think it's beautiful. I love the way it changes up. I love the way it starts sort of softly and then gets to driving. And I always just I, I always imagine audiences. Um, how they experience the show, and I feel like that's the time when, if you're in the kitchen, it's on, it's on. Can you hear the music? And you're grabbing your popcorn. <laughs> um, so, I, and I think that I think there's nothing like in, in, uh, an instrumental score to kind of to do that. Um, it just, I, I think also songs with lyrics can date themselves a bit, and I think it it, it just kind of lands you in a time and place. And I feel like that's the other thing with the Enterprise song. It, you feel very much that era when you hear it. Uh, I didn't see it. You couldn't sing it, maybe. I didn't see it. I could. Could anyone? Anybody want to sing it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hope that answered your question. Any, any thoughts to your type, to, to your war comedy music? Uh, yeah. yeah, well, I'm, uh, well, I'm sorry. My wife's going to say my friend over there is sitting in the corner, Oliver Hoare. He's the most amazing musician. I love his music very much, so it would be one of his songs called Tarantella. You should all listen to it. It's yeah. Oliver Hall. That's what I'd walk on to. <laughs> and he's loving you for that right now. Tarantella, Oliver Hall. <laughs> 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 
If you go from the road soon, just for a quick second, uh, the exhibition upstairs is still open, so you can, uh, you guys can, uh, you guys can, oh, can yeah. go, go and make the How wonderful was that? I really hope you all enjoyed that super special Trekkie time. On Wednesday, you can hear my podcast with my old head teacher, Christine Katertzi, a true inspiration who has been mentoring and leading generations of young women. I really want you all to listen to this one, so I will see you then. Until then, live long and prosper, and may you always be joyous within. Goodbye.